Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Vayishlach covers Genesis 32, verse 4 through chapter 36, verse 43. We picked up the short little book of Obadiah, one chapter, and also a passage there in Hosea chapter 11, verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 12. And also a section we've looked at, at here recently in past weeks, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. So that's the sections we're going to be taking a look at here today. Just some great highlights that we have of this particular passage of Vayishlach, that one of the things that we'll see as the continual message keeps going on is that when the Lord sends us here into the world as ambassadors and as part of a kingdom of priests, the question is, will we go? That's a, a, thing, a question that we see that comes up And when we get into the time of the Exodus, the question is, will we go? Will we leave the house of bondage? Will we go into the land? And then, second generation, will you then go into the land? The second generation of Israel, after the first generation died in the wilderness, because they wouldn't go in. Then, when you go into the land... Will you actually follow through with what the Lord is saying? Will you go and do the hard job that goes to going over and moving out those that are currently in the land? Or will you stop? Will you take the easy route? Or will you depend upon yourselves when you go in to clean out the land? And then wonder why it is that it's a difficult job. It's almost an insurmountable job, and it is an insurmountable job. So the difficult job that you thought was difficult becomes even more difficult, a continual prod in your side, as the word calls it, because you would not deal with the Philistine issue. That is a continual issue, and it will be a thorn in your side for centuries and centuries and centuries going on. And you could say, even down to the current day, that spirits that dwelt over that land of Philistia, whether it was one group of people who were occupying or another, that would continually be a thorn in the side for generation after generation. So the question is, is that, well, what do we do when we face these challenges? Do you say, I did it, I willed it, and it happened? Or will we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Which, which direction do we want to take when we go through there? So these are big lessons that we get from this particular passage and the thread of Avraham's family as it continues on. From Avraham to Yitzhak, now here we're looking at Yaakov, and then it's going to go into Yosef, and we'll start seeing that handoff that will come in. 
And we'll also see in our next passage that we take a look at uh, next week, the beginnings of a tag team effort between Yehuda and Yosef. Judah and Joseph, those become two of the great powers that Yehuda carries on with the family tradition, and also Yosef carries on with the family tradition. So those are some of the great lessons we have here. We see that in both cases, that division is really toxic to the kingdom of God. Now, toxic within the kingdom of God and toxic for some particular reasons that we see that we'll be looking at here further. So how are we living this out as far as division goes? Do we look for every reason to divide and then divide? I don't like the color of the carpet. That person's singing too loud. They're singing dirges. I don't like dirges. They're singing things that are too upbeat. I don't like upbeat. They're dancing around too much. They're not dancing. Do we look for reasons to split from each other? Or do we look for the common threads that hold us together and then cling on? So like the Apostle Paul puts forward in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live, be at peace with all men. So, so far as it depends on you. So, question is, are, are we the problem in where the divisiveness is coming? And if we exclude us from being the problem of the division, then we say, well, okay, is it really a reason for us to divide or uh, is it just that it's become difficult, a difficult task? Another lesson here from the Apostle Paul to uh, Philippi in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 3 through 4, do nothing from the selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So that's good for a congregation, it's good for a family, especially great for a marriage, and from the marriage to the congregation to society. Imagine a society where everybody was looking out for the good of other people. And, and, and if you look at some of the underpinnings of what Adam Smith was writing about, we, we know him for, oh, he's the father of economics and uh, market economies and such. Well, his first book was all about morality and really about the golden rule. So if you do not approach these, what they call um, your comparative advantage between nations, between people, between yourself and a business, if you look for a comparative uh, advantage for you being able to dominate somebody, then you will end up with a situation that became rightly decried with terrible applications for it of what became capitalism called. Because it's one good thing to be able to look for the needs of others. You fill it, and thus you are able to build each other up. 
But if you dominate other people, then what happens? You start creating divisions among people, among nations, etc. And then what? They look to gang up to take you down. And that's one of the things that you see that go on in the particular account that we're going through here, dealing with Yaakov and his brother, and then Yaakov and these uh, people there in Shechem. So one of the, the bottom line that we have really with our interpersonal relations is if it's something that really doesn't rise up to a certain level where you must deal with it, then get over it and not allow these things to divide you. But as we'll see, one of the things that was the problem there with Shechem was letting something slide that shouldn't have been let slide. So that's one of the things we'll be taking about here further. But we'll see also that within the congregation, there can be division that exists. But really, it's one of those things that you see within the family. Do you have an element that is toxic to the body? You could say like a cancer in the body, something that is metastasizing, and if it's not segregated or removed from the body or dealt with, it will take over the body. And that's one of the lessons that we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, that's one of those things where you see, as we've gone through in times past with 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that congregations may need division from the divisive, those that are causing a, something that is a rift may need to be divided out. Uh, yes, Larry, yeah, before we go in here much, much further, you've got a comment or a question? What was that? When they, when they, uh, yeah, Shechem, yes. They, uh, Shechem? Yes. Yeah, when they said, when they had them circumcised, mm. it was essentially they were converting to Judaism, weren't they? That's going to be a very interesting discussion of, of that whole thing. So, yes, but I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out there. It's about uh, converting. And it goes into something that we actually, <laughs> we actually prayed about in our prayer for Israel. We uh, covered a little bit of that in our discussion earlier today. But we'll be going into that a little bit further. Yes, Anne. My question is also about Shechem. Mm, yes. Because <clears throat> I'm sure that you have your, you, you may be talking about this within the next five minutes. I don't know. But um, I thought after all, was said and done that um, I know Jacob said you have you have caused the family great grief and now everyone will be after us you know mm -hmm. but it turned out opposite you know where they left and the people that were remaining were fearful of of uh, Jacob and the family and so it worked together for good although it was evil that they did and they did and it's, it's a very interesting thing. You, you bring, it, bring it up on what the reaction of that was. Yes. So I'm glad, glad you observed that. Yes, Alex. For how they converted them. I mean, the guy who was after uh, Jacob's wife. Yes. Was of, uh, his daughter. Is, yeah. Was of good stature, big stature. 
and he kind of made everybody else <laughs> circumcise. <laughs> well, you know, yes. then, so he was, <laughs> I can't find much honorable in that story as far as uh, converting anybody. It is <laughs> and then a, they just planned on killing them all anyway. Uh, it's all a, along. It, it, is a, it is a very interesting thing that we're going to take a look at in some detail here today. All right, any other thoughts here before we move on much further? But one of the things we should take a look at in this lesson here from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 through 9 through 13, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do not judge those who are with... Do you not judge those who are within the assembly? But those who are outside, God judges. And remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And that's the latter part there is a quotation uh, which shows up in a lot of instructions there in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13, 17, 21, and 22. You'll see that line there to remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And as you look at each one of those passages, it is like going through cancer treatment for the body that if you do not deal with this situation it will take over the whole rest of the body so the key issue with this in the divisiveness that sometimes must happen to deal with those who are divisive is why are they divisive within the body Within the body, if they are immoral, what are they then doing to the whole congregation? Corrupting, in fact, you're dragging the whole congregation over. And as you see with the instructions as they go on in this particular chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, that he's like, you're proud about this. This was going on in your midst, and you were proud about this. And you see it brought further on in Paul's letter of Romans in chapter 1, a section that we looked at the beginning part of our weekly class, but one you'll hear talked about often, is that when you go through and you tolerate all these kinds of behavior, then what happens? You have people, a culture, that will then approve of what's going on. They might not participate in it themselves, but they will approve of it by letting it go on, either tacitly or by indirect means. They will be approving of it. So, with that, when we go on here further, so one of the things that we see is that with this removal of this person from the congregation, was not meant to just say, well, I'm better than him, a so-called holier-than-thou approach. So we're holier than him, so we throw him out. No, one of the aspects of that is to have a wake-up call 
So you toss the person out as a, you're trying to help. You are trying to wake the person up to how far the person has slid. And so thus, when you see with a little bit of foreshadowing in our passage here today in Vayishlach, you've got a bit of a foreshadowing that Esau's weeping of his foolish loss turned to weeping of reconciliation joy. Remember in our passages we saw last week about how he was weeping over what? Not getting the blessing. But here, he is now confronted face-to-face with the blessing that he first passed on for the sake of being hungry. And secondly, you had his brother just stepped in, took his place um, physically by subterfuge, and then took the full blessing. And that resulted with all of these children and all of the livestock and the blessing that came down through him. So there was a transformation that was happening both in Esau and also in Yaakov and how they were approaching into the situation. So with that bit of a backdrop of that transformation that was going on and the struggling that was going on, now it's time to struggle with one of the more incredibly difficult passages of Scripture. Uh, Yes, Christine, uh, go ahead, please. Before we make this transition, yes. I um, love when Esau said, ask of Jacob, who are these? Who are these? And yeah. when he was able to look and see a godly family, he had married Canaanite women, and I can imagine that his children must have perhaps looked much different as he's seeing these two camps come over with the blessing and, and the women and the children. It must have overwhelmed him to see that, and um, it's it's a great thing when the family uh, is in union with Hashem and everything's in good harmony. It was pretty amazing uh, word picture. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yes, uh, Daniel, do you have a comment or a question? Um, I like the part where uh, Jacob and like Jacob's trying to give the gift to Esau and Esau's like no 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 and Jacob's like you have to take it (laughs) because I feel like Jacob like he he's still kind of doubting his brother because he knows that his brother doesn't have the best memory Mm. apparently so he doesn't want like next time they see you he's like oh um you didn't give me the gift like oh um you weren't showing me kindness or anything like that so he wanted to make sure that like Nothing could go wrong. Like he was sure mm. that Esau forgave him. Like there was no, um, what's it called? Like I don't know. Attachments to the deal. Mm. It was just straight. Yeah. So he was he was getting continually reminded with it. Yeah. Again and again with these different gifts that were coming to him one after the other with the same message that hey this is this is from Yaakov your servant. And this is what the blessing has come from. And he keeps getting confronted again and again as each one of these gifts are coming along. So when we look here at uh, Genesis 34, man, it's an unbelievably uncomfortable topic to look at. But one of the things that you'll see in here is a lot of the dynamics that were going on within the family of Yaakov. 
and also some of the heart condition of the people of the land. And you, could, you saw in this passage that Yaakov had purchased property there right next to them, in the midst of them. So right next to them, he had purchased land. So he had this stake in what was going on there. So you have then with Dina, and she is violated, but they described her first as the daughter of Leah, the unloved wife, the wife that, as we saw in our last passage, the Torah passage, that was thrown into the equation because Laban wanted to marry her off. But Yad Yaakov came in, and he wanted Rachel. And you could see that it was mutual there with Rachel wanted to be with Yaakov. But then Laban said, no, didn't even mention it, what was going on, and then subterfuge to him. And so we saw that the bit that was done to move the birthright to where it was supposed to go to then to Yaakov. Well, then the same thing happened to Yaakov where <laughs> the, what he wanted to happen with Rachel, uh, it got turned around. And so Leah was what happened first. She was thrown in there to the mix. So you, you can just imagine what that was like for Leah. And as we discussed last week, you see that in every single one of her children that come along, what are they all named? Variations on, I hope he loves me now. That's, that's just sad when you, when you see that because she was the thrown in one. Even though she was the oldest daughter, the oldest child of Laban, she was the rejected one. And just the consolation prize. Basically, uh, you get the bonus but not really the bonus because not really wanted. So not really rejected because she had six of the children. So thus, thus when, you're, when you're seeing the blessing that came through, the blessing of mu much of Israel came through her and her made, uh, her side of that sister conflict that was going on there. Well, you had the through Yehuda, so yes, so thus you would have it. So Yehuda came through Leah, and uh, very, very blessed. Yes, yeah, Leah was very, very blessed. But one of the things you see here is that, so Dina is the daughter of the, quote, unloved wife of Yaakov, and then, but Yaakov really dithers over what happened to her. So it's like, man, you wonder about that kind of a dynamic of, well, did it go down into that uh, sort of disdain about the children as well? And as we see next week, you start wondering if some of the disdain of the two wives, Leah versus Rachel, whether that then went down into their children as well. And we'll see some of those dynamics. Uh, yes, uh, Carrie, go, go ahead, please. 
Well, actually, I was thinking that um, as far as the placement of the children when they're approaching mm. Esau, Jacob ah. puts the maids <laughs> yes. and their children in front, and then he's got Leah and her children, and he's got Rachel and Joseph the furthest back from where Esau is. Yeah. He cuts in front, but still yeah. that placement. And I was thinking, you know, scripture, unfortunately doesn't really talk about how the women and the children felt about any of yeah. this, but I mean, at least some of these children were, were men or close to it. And mm. yeah, you know, they sense the tension and you know, the women knew who was preferred and where they were being placed and why. Mm. So just kind of, I don't know, I was just kind of thinking about like, how would I feel in that position? Yes. So a lot well, you can see on. some of that boiling over in our next Torah passage and what happens to Yosef. Uh, yes. Uh, go ahead, Daniel. This is kind of jumping the gun here, but um, I watched this like movie. It was on Joseph and it kind of showed like why they hated Joseph so much. Not only because he was Jacob's favorite, but also Joseph knew that he was his dad's favorite. So he kind of like. The movie showed that he kind of like showed off a little bit. He was mm. like, father got me this coat. He didn't get you one. And it's kind of like, it's not that it justifies what they did, but it also shows that like they had reasoning to do so. Like, yeah, there's, that's, that's one way you can definitely read the story is that there was uh, some sort of, um, you could say leaning into the blessing that, that was given to Yosef. That's one, one way that you can definitely take that story. So as we go in further into this particular, uh, yes, uh, Tammy, uh, go ahead, please. Yeah, just to touch on Carrie's thing very briefly, I do strongly suspect that Leah's oldest children were already old enough to have had children of their own. Hence, you have here in the little subtitle here about um, Simeon and Levi um, wanting to, quote, avenge, quote, our daughter. I suspect that Dina, or Dinah, however you want to pronounce her name, She's so far down the line as far as age is concerned. She might have been young enough to be their daughter. So they might have, you know, had that more almost of like a father-daughter bond with her rather than a sister bond with her. So yeah. her humiliation would have been really, um, really hurtful to them, even more than with a sister, if they thought of her almost more like a daughter because she may have been the same age as their daughters or whatever. Mm -hmm. It would have hurt them even more to think about that. Yeah, so that's one of the points here that's a key aspect that people have noticed for quite a long time in this particular passage, that when you look under the hood of the passage um, as to whose daughter actually this is. And you also see it play into what Shechem's family's plan was to conquer Israel through assimilation and then dissipation to basically make it nothing anymore. So looking into this a little bit further, uh, passage there in Genesis 34, verses two through three. So when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hevites, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So one of the, the, the fascinating aspects, and when you're kind of looking under the hood of this, is the, what you're seeing here is completely in reverse because that second passage there, uh, deeply attracted to Dina, that is the language that's used, we'll see later on about in the Torah, that about, uh, it's, King James will translate it as cleave to God, 
cling to, that's the verb that's used here. So that's the kind of relationship. He was deeply, he was clinging to her emotionally. His, like his soul, his nefesh, was clinging to her. And Ahava loved her and spoke to her heart this. But that was after he had already lakach. He had, he had seized her and took her. And as you noticed, I hope you noticed in this whole passage, where was she this whole time? In his house. After he seized her, she was in his house the whole time. This wasn't like, oopsie, wow, passion of the moment, we'll send her back home, humiliated. No, she stayed in his house. And then, you know, so that's what makes this, you could see the boiling over of the sons as it moves forward. So we see kind of a, a similar passage in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, about one of the things about the passions that drive us. They can drive us to good things. They can drive us to cling to God because that is a passion. You can't just haphazardly cling to God. In fact, that is one of the things you see in Deuteronomy. And it says, if you treat me casually, that's like, it's like a worse affront than to actually oppose him. If you just treat God with apathy, that's a terrible thing. So passion comes into your clinging to God. But passion can also drive you to do very dumb things as well. So one of the things here you see from the Apostle Yochanan, he writes, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who do, does the will of God lives forever. So one of the things that we see is that one who does the will of God, and that is a part of the whole lesson that we're seeing with what Avraham learns, what Yitzhak learns, what Yaakov learns, what Yehuda learns, what Yosef learns, all along the line is to what? Do the will of God. And we'll see as we get into the story of Yosef, that's one of the things that you see as a hallmark of Yosef. How could I do this and sin against God? Not what he wants to do in any particular point in time, but there is something outside of him that he is appealing to on the right way to, to live and to act. So thus, you have a very clear flipping of the situation with Shechem. That the things that he might have wanted to do that were good things in the way to treat Dina. No, he lets his nefesh move first and not, not a nefesh that is really moving towards chayim or life, but moving towards death, the ways that move towards death. So as you kind of move on further here, 
in Genesis 34:5 says now when Yaakov heard that he had defiled Dina his daughter now because he is daughter but his sons were with his livestock in the field so Yaakov kept silent until they came in now you notice here the next verse in 34 verse 6 Genesis 34:6 when Hamor, the father of Shephem, went out to Yaakov to speak with him. So who is moving first here on this? The father. Yeah, the father of the one who violated her is the one who's doing something first. But he's not coming with her to her father. No. So, one of the things that Hamor says there in verse 8, but Hamor spoke to them, to Yaakov, and to you know, presumably at least Shimon and Levi, because they get mentioned a lot as the passage goes on. So, at least them, maybe some of the other brothers, saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. And one of the key things there is that is betechem, betechem, which is plural, or be all y'all's daughter. So that's a sad testament to it, is that the father of Dina was not acting like a father in actually protecting her. Or, and then after something terrible happening to her, then decided to go pursue this, to say, hey, things like this cannot happen and not especially happen to her, you know, the daughter of the unloved wife is now like unloved and cast off to a foreign people. Uh, yes, uh, Lorilla, we have a, a comment or a question over there. Well, I may be jumping ahead. Oh, but go right ahead. Not only does he not protect her in the first place, not do anything when he hears about it, but when his sons, Simon and Levi, um, take retribution, he says, Oh my goodness, you guys have put me in a terrible position. Now what am I going to do? I, I've gotten in a lot of trouble with these guys that are basically dead. But it just, it just strikes me that even then, he couldn't advocate for his own daughter. Yeah. And you see that as we move on with further with the story here in Genesis 34, verses 9 and 10. So Hamor is saying, intermarry with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us, and the land shall be open before you. Live and trade in it and acquire property in it. So, thus, now you may have wondered why it is that you see at the end of this passage where what do the brothers say to their father? It treated her like a harlot. And you're wondering, well, what is the exchange here? And this is detailed in there of what was in exchange. So it's like, here's the pitch coming to how you can... Uh, quote, marry her off after the fact, but 
you're seeing that at the at the price of what the price of her and not only that but then what you'll see is happening behind the scenes in what the people have planned going forward but shimon and levi say in in genesis 34:17 after all this the the sales pitch is made but if you will not listen to us to be circumcised then we will take our daughter and go so one of the key things that you see here is about oh well we're circumcised people so go uh, and be circumcised now you can say well okay there's the subterfuge of what it did in disabling them but also it goes back to what the circumcision was a sign of to the very beginning as it went back to Avraham. And you see a reflection of that kind of hundreds of years later when Yahushua was circumcising the people before they were going into the land. And you see there in Joshua chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Yahushua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Mitzrayim from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day, or the rolled place. So that's one of the pictures that you see where we get a, um, people wonder, well, what is circumcision all about? That's one of the aspects of that, of rolling back the reproach. So basically, you don't take Egypt with you. You don't take the Mitzrayim mindset with you into the land. You're not slaves anymore. You are cut off from that lineage of living as slaves. You are now been moved into a new family, or you should say the family has been reborn again and moved back into the land from the, quote, grave of Egypt back into the land. So brought back from the dead. So when you look at this particular passage, and you see some of the very interesting language of it, of, okay, you have now been circumcised, but do you know why it is that you've been circumcised? Remember the message that... Moshe gave in the last few chapters of Deuteronomy to circumcise what? Your hearts. Yes, rend your hearts, circumcise your hearts. That is a part of what's going on here. So tear away your internal clinging on to Egypt. Roll that reproach away that you were subjected to servitude there in Egypt in bondage to someone else but here this family is now facing the death or you could say the the death of a hundred cuts these little slices that were going to be happening to them if they went through with this plan of the intermarriage and then slowly drip 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 you see in Israel's history that and it's been the history of all the people of God throughout time that what happens with this, of the slow drip drip of assimilation, is that you forget who you are. You forget what your legacy is, who 
you are actually a part of the family of God. And you begin to associate yourself with something else, someone else, and not with the family of God. And that's really a part of what you see with Paul's admonition there that's, hey, you're in the world, but don't be of it. And that is what Yeshua said as well. Um, yes, we have a comment there from uh, Larry. Parable what about Yeshua this. said in his parable. We're all, I think we're all in that position even mm. today because we have not maybe yet been led off by the weeds growing up around us, but we still could be. Uh, yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, uh, yes, Rose, go ahead, please. I think the men that agreed to be circumcised. Uh, had other intentions of uh, besides assimilating because they said those cattle can are can be mine and those and their women can be ours. I mean, they had they had other ideas besides being uh, converted to Judaism, if you will, or to their or to uh, Jacob's way of thinking. They had other plans for uh, let's get circumcised and all that stuff's going to be ours. And that is a key reason why you see circumcision show up later on in this. And what the passage we were just looking at here is what are you rolling away the reproach of? Are you just taking your now, we're, we're just now Egyptians who have moved and changed our address and we're now somewhere else. Or no, you are returning home as part of the promise of the people of God to be there in the land to be a part of this promise that was moving forward, to be this beachhead of heaven on earth. So that is what circumcision was all about. And they used to get a bit of a hint of that, that this was going to be a problem that later generations of Israel in the land were going to have to remember and sadly forget is that Part of what circumcision is, is not just a part of a club, it is a change. You are, your parents are saying, hey, I am committing you, setting you on the path to be a part of the family of God. You, as the person coming in from some other belief set, you are making a change to say, I'm going to leave that behind and now be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm relieving the old life, or as Paul puts it, the old man behind, and now I'm going to become the new man moving forward. And that break is going to be made, which is also kind of a, a side topic of why circumcision comes into a big deal of saying, hey, that is a bar now of where you become a part of the kingdom of God. So where that had become is a litmus test. Are you a part of the family of God? Well, you know, have you had surgery or not? Is that your litmus test? Or whether you are actually having a change of address of your heart and who you are. You're leaving the old way of life behind and moving into the new way of life. So one of the challenges that was there in the first century, and we've seen that as we've gone through the letter of Romans, is that if you are just saying, well, I'm just going to move into the new way of life with surgery, keep my old way of life with me, 
well, then what have you just done? What have you accomplished? You've done physically mutilated yourself, and that's it. You've not actually undergone the internal change that's supposed to be signified by the external change that you've done to your body. So that's why circumcision of the heart is something that male, female, it applies to all. But with males, it's saying, hey, this is a part of the physical legacy that you are moving on. So a part of the symbol of what is going on internally. Just like the offerings at the tabernacle, which is a pattern of what is happening in heaven, are a representation of something that is happening internally between the people of God and heaven. So that's, that's what a big topic of the letter of Hebrews is about, is that if you're dependent upon this physical thing happening in a physical place for your connection to heaven, you've missed the entire point. That's what the prophet Isaiah was railing about. That's what they went on about, is that you are putting so much onto this physical thing that if the Lord brings judgment and says, ah, you need a time out, the abomination of, ex, of, of desolation, where that dwelling place of God is vacated until a time when it is reoccupied again. So if your whole thing is about what that physical place is doing and the physical things going on there to have any sort of efficacy, what hope do you have if the God puts up the closed sign on the temple of God? God puts that closed sign up. And if your hope is all there, then what hope do you have if it's closed for business? Uh, uh-oh. So thus, that's one of the lessons of the prophets, the lessons of the tabernacle, is that these are all parts of a practice, spiritual practice, the spiritual discipline that's going on that involves physical things happening that certain times in certain ways, but they all represent things that are happening within you and going on with heaven. So that's one of those key aspects of what was going on. So thus, circumcision being a fitting way to break this assimilation attempt that was being brought by the people of Shechem. Uh, yes, uh, Deborah, uh, go ahead, please. Oh, okay. Well, I was out, stepped out for a minute, but uh, Mark Biltza did the math. And I don't know, you said roll away the reproach. Uh, Dina was like 10 years old, and the boys were like teenagers when all this was happening. And, you know, sir, this is a very, very young of them, you know, to take their daughters, per se. So there's a lot of stigma there, too. These are young kids that are, this is happening in their fathers. If you, if I, I, was going back and they were in their 40s and 50s when the you know I, abraham isaac and jacob they be, they were older and more mature but here are the, some of these things that are happening with this circumcision i don't know if you guys talked about that before but they were 10 years old she was a little girl that, that guy took her took as i was one some of the other things well, that's, so, that, i mean that that is debatable about how, how old she is there are well, a I number mean, of of ranges of age where where she could have been 
But yeah. Oh, but I mean, if you go back and did the math, right? At when it was happening, uh, other people have done the math over hundreds of years, and yeah. there's different numbers that you can. Come oh, to. you're saying she was not a young child. It could be young, or it could be older. So just uh, just well, kind of keep keep that well, in anyways, mind. Well, anyways, well, okay. So anyway, that all of that stuff that's happening with them. This is this is for our. It's for us for today. These things are happening. It takes a long time to mature in the Lord. We don't come ready made. I think all of us come here and many, 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 many years of being in this look and say, oh my goodness, God, I just wish I wouldn't have said or done that. Mm. You know, I I know I do. Yeah. (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. Don't, don't we all? Uh, Yes. We got in there and then we need to wrap up things here today. I'm I'm sorry. Maybe I missed it. But how did you, how do you know, Jeff, that she stayed in in the home of? Uh, well, look at where the passage ends. They says they took her from the home of Shechem. So she had been there that whole time. Well, she was kidnapped. Yes. It, well, it says that that he um, forced himself upon her against her will. So yes, that was that was kind of the the whole under undercurrent of this is that you can see from what is described about his connection that he had some uh, good intentions, but they were in the wrong order. He had some sort of longing for her obsession you might even see infatuation right Ten year olds today yeah, yeah. That's why I said that. yeah exactly well as as you'll see that there's been uh, some significant changes i mean there was even um a an account just here in the past week of a uh, seven-year-old giving birth to a oh, good grief it was like multiple children so yes there's the uh Issues of uh, precocious puberty that can uh, end up a lot earlier. But that's a, another topic. Uh, yes, uh, Christine, and uh, hold on just a moment. Uh, uh, Christine, go ahead, please. So some of the rabbis and the sages talk about, um, and this is you know a whole other conversation maybe over Oneg, just about how the fact that he spoke to her heart, and there's indication that um, even though... Uh, the Jewish nation, uh, Israel as a, as a people, they, they're pretty, you can speak to their heart, right? And they can be easily fooled um, or swept away. Um, and some of the sages that I was, or rabbis that I were listening to, they were pointing out, you know, um, a deficit for them that they've noticed that as a people is how they're, they love uh, commercials and advertisements and, and uh, were a heavy uh, purveyor of Black Friday. They, their purchasing power was off the chain in the land of Israel, and they were just commenting, uh, you know, in light of this uh, Parsha, that, um, that they can have their heart spoken to and that they need to be on guard Mm. on who's speaking into their heart and, you know, why is there a feeling of lacking that materialism will speak to that and um, encouraging them to turn to Hashem, they're all. Yeah, and and this is actually a conversation that goes much beyond what you would say with with commercialism, but 
the idea of why you have effective um, advertising. I'm sure Anne-Marie could speak to the psychology beyond that far better than I can, but one of the things that they had thought earlier on in the ideas of mass communication was the idea of the magic bullet theory is that you basically would say something and people would be helpless to whatever message you would put across and just buy it. But the point is, is that do you buy everything you see? No, because why? You get perhaps yeah, you can't afford it. Well, that in, you could say is in a sense of what needs to happen, that sort of filter between what things go into your brain and then decide what are you going to do about it. So just like what you would have here with Shechem, these passions that were coming in through him, what was he going to do about them? Did he say, oh, wow, she's fantastic. Father, why don't you go talk to Yaakov and, and see if we can work out a marriage agreement? No, he did it the other way around because why? It describes later in the passage he was powerful. He could, he could do that. Who was going to say anything about it in, in this town, in the area? They didn't say anything later when the whole thing was going on. So one of the things that we see, whether you're talking about with um, the appeal of consumerism you're seeing it now with the whole issues of entertainment, that people are finally saying enough of just having people just saying, okay, we have an attractive medium that can grab people's attention. We tell a story, we got flashy images, we got great graphics, and then we can just ram whatever we want through there because we can get people's attention. And they have a point. If you do not filter those things coming in, just like we'll see in the next Torah section that Yosef was doing, filtering these impulses that were coming in, you can be driven to all kinds of things going forward. So that's you're saying like today, a movement among parents is saying, you know, enough. We're not just going to sit the kids down in front of something that's, quote, child-friendly or children's entertainment. Yeah. You just hit play and walk away. No, because parents that have looked at this stuff, they're like, my goodness, I thought these were trusted avenues for this. And so thus, we've seen all kinds of things that they've, been trying to put forward just by looking at it, then you've had the people behind those things, behind that entertainment, themselves say, this is what we intend to do with it. So thus, it's one of those things that with discernment, that's something we should all be praying for. And it's described amongst those lists that the Apostle Paul talks about as a spiritual gift. So one of the great spiritual gifts for the body of God is discernment, to be able to take in input and filter it Amen. and say, what am I going to do about it? Because you know, you know what happens if you just try to just shut off some sort of impulse? If you've not dealt with your filter, internal filter, what happens? Either you'll find out some way to get around your little um, block or it will come in from some other avenue that you haven't thought to block. And then what do you do? If you have not dealt with the issue, Yeshua's parable of the house that you sweep clean after you throw out the unclean spirit, if you leave it empty, 
something will occupy it. And it may even occupy it worse than what it was at the beginning when you realize, uh-oh, I've got a problem. Um, yes, I, I'm sorry, we got Alex and then uh, Larry. I was just going to finish what yeah. you said about young children yes. uh, being born, and there are still many parents who sit silently, the big forces are around me, what's the best way of dealing with? They're, that's what they're saying in their head, and they, they said nothing. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of what it seems like Jacob did at the time. Yeah, indeed. And you, you see it also almost a repeat of the same sort of thing in the life of David. When Tamar, when you have one of David's daughters gets ravished by one of what? His sons. Yeah. So then what happens? Because David does nothing. So what happens? You have one of the sons has to step up to deal with the situation. So it's one of those things if you just do not deal with the situation and if you've got something that toxic happening within your own family, oh my goodness, time to start talking and addressing things before they get to that point. Uh, yes, Larry. Well, this may be, <clears throat> there may be a controversial side to what I'm thinking. Mm except that what the master said was, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, yep. and everything else will be taken care of for you. Yeah. So I don't know how that works in this well, situation. Well, that's, that's a part not of... not doing nothing, it's doing something. Yeah, but that's, that's what we were saying, like, when that passage from First uh, John chapter 2, it's like, you know, one of the things that you pursue is to do the will of the creator of heaven and earth. Because if you're moving in that direction, what is one of the things that he wants? He wants his words, his spirit to be guiding us, to be our filter that we filter things through. Because otherwise, what? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of life, the accomplishments and such, that just eats you up and consumes you and things can come in that you did not want to happen. Uh, yes, uh, go ahead, Larry. And you know, the, uh, the thing that uh, this once saved, always saved thing leaves you with is you don't have to worry about do anything. But we know that mm. the master said that we have to obey the law. And that, in, the, in that, I guess, is the, that's our actions. Yeah, and that's... He said it over and over again that he's going to reward us according to our works. Yeah. I don't know where they get that stuff where you don't have any works. Well, he's, it's, it's one of the things like the, the Apostle Yaakov, when he talks about the law of liberty. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation about this tonight, last night. And it was with the, the aspects of when you, when you talk about, uh, like in the Psalms, where it says, you know, I can walk at liberty or I can walk in freedom because of your boundaries, because of your laws. Because why? If you are in a walled city, why do you have the walls there? To keep the stuff that will destroy outside. So inside, best case scenario, you can walk at liberty. Because within those walls, you're likely not going to have as many problems on it. But... If you don't see any value in the boundaries between what's inside and what's outside, then what can happen? Then 
You have no idea whether you're safe inside or outside. Yeah, have no idea. Um, yeah, so we'll close out here with Lorilla. When you have a wall, sometimes you get ivy, and that's what I think of. Because ivy, if you don't take care of it, ruins the wall. And for me, the ivy is, um, we've changed definitions of words. Um, my husband got me in trouble um, because he was from Boston, and they have a different kind of definition for the word wicked or bad. And my son wrote a paper, you know, how, how is your family? And he says, my dad is bad. And my mommy is the fun parent. Well, because I was, I was tired of being the disciplinarian, and he overheard us. And I said, could I just be the fun parent once or so? But my son took the word bad as meaning good. And I've seen today, we have reality TV, which has nothing to do with actual reality. We have artificial intelligence. And the key word to that is artificial. It's not intelligent. But we are programming our kids to think artificial intelligence is smart. That to be bad is good, to be good is bad. And that's the ivy that's encroaching our walls that we need to weed out so that our children won't be faced with the same kind of garbage we had. And one important note, I'll just end here with Tammy, and to what Lorilla is saying, um, a very high-level computer scientist was talking about uh, AI and is saying, AI is only as um, intelligent as the one who's developing the algorithm. Beware the person developing the algorithm, because they can make you see or not see anything that they want. So be, be careful. It can be a great tool, but it can steer you in whichever direction the algorithm writer will want you to go. Uh, yes? Yeah, this, this might be ties into a little bit of what Lorilla was saying, but more in point is that when we're talking about Jacob versus David and their mistakes in terms of not excising or dealing with an evil that happened within their family, is that because the sons had to step up, whether it's Simeon and Levi, or later on with um, Absalom having to step up for Tamar against, um, I can't remember the other brother, the brother that actually raped um, um, Tamar. The, the sons then lost respect for that patriarch, because if I'm going to have to step up as like, like a son, like Simeon and Levi, I, I'm having to step up to protect your daughter, then now she's my daughter. You know, I'll take care of her. She'll be my daughter if you don't want to be her father. I'll be her father then, and I'll protect her. And that's what Simeon and Levi did. And the same thing with Tamar, in a way. You know, the father refusing to step up and deal with the evil. Well, the brother did, and now they lost respect. Because later on, you see with David, Absalom eventually tries to take over the throne. Adonijah, the, the other brother, also tried to take over the throne, right? Because they lost respect for him. Because of this, because of what he did not do. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I have to close things out with that. Well, thank you so much for uh, your contributions on this. It's a hugely important topic about the filter that we all need within ourselves of all the things that come in to our minds. As they says there in the word, you know, to take every thought captive and bring it into subjection to the law of Mashiach. 
Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.